This presentation is from UX Australia 2018, held in Melbourne. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. You guys can hear me? Yeah? Okay. No, okay. Thanks, uh, Jana. Um, so our presentation today, as we said, is called Let's Talk About the Weather, Bringing Scientists on a UX Journey to Rural Victorian Farms. So the general gist of this is that what we're going to talk about is what happens when the client wants to come along on your UX research and be part of it. So the good parts, the bad parts, um, both from the client and the UX practitioner's perspective. So just for extra fun, I've even brought my client along with me <laughs> to give his point of view. So we'll see how this goes. So uh, my name's Vicky, um, I'm a UX professional, been doing it for around sort of 12 years. Um, I used to be a consultant in Sydney before I started my own software and UX company called Squervy, which caters to the agriculture sector and is based in Bendigo and regional Victoria. So agriculture is a really great field for UX professionals to be involved in because stuff built for agriculture now tends to be where the rest of user centered design was maybe around 30 years ago. So it's really easy for us to look good. So, uh, <laughs> so Square V does a lot of work with Syro's agriculture and food team, both in terms of UX research and also in terms of software, uh, and that's how I met Pat. Hi, um, I'm a climate adaptation scientist, and that's a bit jargony for a lot of you probably, but that just means that I try and understand climate and how it impacts on farming systems, and I try and help farmers manage climate variability by giving them access to the latest research on tools that can help them predict the yield of their crops, uh, the future productivity, and how to adapt to that climate variability. I've been at the CSIRO, which is Australia's lead uh, research organisation across a number of areas, but I've been there for about eight years, and I now work in interdisciplinary teams um, across a range of uh, in, uh, sectors in agriculture, including grains, which we'll talk about today. So uh, it's funny for me to probably um, talk about to you guys uh, as UX professionals, um, which is a field I'd never actually heard about 12 months ago. Um, diagrams like this is probably a bit of a no-brainer for a lot of you, but I wanted to first introduce sort of the scientific um, process and how it views the way in which we get our research into the hands, in this case of farmers, and how we achieve impact. Um, probably historically speaking, uh, scientists have often thought about research as a very linear process where we have these things which are inputs, they might be people, equipment, amazing machines and laboratories, activities that we do, we'll run some experiments, we might run some simulation models and then we'll have outputs and they are often research papers or technical reports and then the things that happen actually in the community and society are often afterthoughts to this process. Um, and we, we've often been at arm's length to how actual research um, makes impact in society. Um, but more and more we've been pushed to really understand this pathway to impact and how we can engage early on with uh, our customers, the potential users of our research. And that involves obviously a lot of feedback along that whole process um, and a, a process that probably becomes a bit more natural to those of you who are used to testing and um, retesting um, research and methods. Um, agriculture, as many of you know, is highly dependent on weather 
and there's no other industry within agriculture that's more dependent on weather than gr the grains. And grains is w growing wheat, barley, canola, uh, and a whole bunch of lentils. And um, this, this uh, sector of farming is at the will and mercy of um, climate and weather like no other. And obviously, we're currently um, in New South Wales in the grips of one of the worst droughts on record. Um, and it just emphasises the need for farmers to have the best weather and climate information at their fingertips, to know ahead of time how they may adapt um, their practices and to prepare for um, periods when their you know, productivity or their income is, is challenged. Um, farming and the decisions that farmers make in the grains industry is highly dependent on weather, as I mentioned. And their decisions around when should I sow my crop when should I add fertiliser during the season? Um, should I spray my crops tomorrow? Why are these clouds looking so weird? Um, but really, these, these decisions um, occur all the time for a farmer at different time scales and um, require different types of information. Yep. yep. Um, so... We, we knew from talking to, to people that most farmers have multiple weather apps on their phones and the team's hypothesis was that uh, they had this because each of them gave the farmer something different. Maybe one had a better short-term forecast, one had better rainfall accuracy, something like that. So we thought that uh, if we could figure out what farmers liked about each app, we could bundle it all into a one-stop shop for farm weather and climate and then they'd only have to look at one app hours and then they would be uh, very thankful to us and our research would be in the hands of farmers and everyone would be very happy. So that was the hypothesis. But uh, as part of this, so we went to Birchip and to talk to, talk to some farmers and to get some answers and see if that was actually the case. So here's Birchip, centre of the universe, as I've been told numerous times. Pat and his team flew up from Hobart and we all headed out to Birchip to talk to some farmers. It's about 300 kilometres northwest of Melbourne, four and a bit hours of driving, and uh, it is not known for its coffee or its hotel accommodation, I can tell you that much. It does have two claims to fame, though. So... Number one is this huge and very well-endowed statue of a Mallee bull that sits in the middle of the main street. Um, the other one is the famous Sharps Bakery Vanilla Slice, which has four times won the trophy for the best vanilla slice in Australia. It's actually really, really good. So I really recommend that you go out and uh, get some if you can. So the other thing that Birchip has going for it is a lot of farmers and a really active farm group called the Birchip Cropping Group. Uh, so farm groups are a staple of rural communities. Um, Farming is a really solitary profession. Farm groups provide socialisation and networking along with information about new research and best practices. So the BCG helped us recruit a number of farmers who were willing to chat with us about their farms and their weather, which was great. It's probably a really good to reset at this point, though, and point out this put me as a UX researcher in a bit of a quandary because in my previous life as a consultant in Sydney, we did lots of interview-based research under the standard UX paradigm when the client wanted to watch I sat them safely behind some one-way glass and that way they could feel like they were involved without actually getting in the way of the research that I was doing. So that was pretty good. Unfortunately, in agriculture, you cannot safely ensconce your client behind the glass because there is none. Um, it's generally, uh, I generally I talk to farmers at their kitchen table in their messy, noisy farm office with all the machinery going on in the background or in their ute, which is actually really common as well. So, yeah, the, so when the client said they wanted to come along, and learn how it was done, I was a little bit concerned. <laughs> but they're the clients, so uh, let's give it a shot, right? Uh, what could possibly go wrong? 
Um, so having the, the scientists along for the research really changed things on both sides, and that's really sort of what I wanted to talk about today. So it's fairly standard UX research, nothing overly exciting in as much as every research project is exciting and cool to us as practitioners. Um, but having them along really changed sort of in terms of the process and the outcomes, both from my point of view as a researcher and for them as the client. So first, wanted to talk about the positives. Um, so my positive number one is uh, that the client really, really got it. So this was great. So this was these guys' first real experience with UX research. But the biggest thing was that they really understood even after just a couple of interviews. So think about all those times when you spend all these hours out doing research and presenting it back to people, and then they still think they know better than you. That happens to everyone, right? <laughs> So bringing the client along really showed them 100% that this is valuable, this is really how people talk and uh, really how people use weather. So I heard from one scientist that it was even a little bit confronting as it sort of showed them um, how small their research was in the grand scheme of all the things that a farmer had to deal with on a daily basis. Uh, Pat, did you have anything to add about this one? Yeah, I mean, as I mentioned, you know, as a scientist I'd never really um, understood UX research um, prior to you know, engaging Vicky and um, working with her, but, you know, this this process and going along with it um, really helps sort of, for me, understand the methodology and then see the real value it um, could create for our research. Um, yeah, and I'll mention more about that in the next couple yep. of slides. Um, so the other positive that I had from it was that it provided benefit back to the farmer and reduced the feeling of a one-way transaction. So often when I'm doing research, it feels really one-sided thing. Like I ask all the questions, the participant answers them, and then they take their gratuity and then they go home, right? Um, so that's fine when you're doing research with banking participants in Sydney and they've signed up for a recruiter mailing list or, you know, all that sort of stuff. But it's a bit less fine when people have been recruited specifically for the study through friends or farm groups, um, which is more of a sort of community thing. Uh, so having an expert there to answer their questions really does help them understand things, um, provide some benefit back to the farmer more than just the benefit of being heard. So bringing along the scientists for this really helped. Often they had specific questions about, often the farmer had specific questions about climate and weather that the scientists could answer a lot better than I could. So having them there gave benefit that talking to me did not provide. For example, when I was recently speaking to some almond growers in Mildura, one of them was a climate change skeptic who started quizzing the scientists with me about polar ice levels, uh, increasing instead of decreasing. So it was great that the scientist was there to sort that out so I didn't have to deal with it because I was, <laughs> nope, not my problem. <laughs> um, the other positive that I had, and this was a bit of a surprise, is that the client is actually more likely to hire UX people in future. Um, this was a huge surprise to me. So I didn't tell them originally, but when they... When they originally came to me and said they wanted to come along and learn how to conduct US research, um, I thought this meant they were learning so they could do it themselves next time and then I'd be out of a job, which is not super great when you're running a small business, right? So when we were putting this talk together, I mentioned this to the client and uh, what was their response, Pat? Well, of course, yeah, we're more likely to, to use UX. We see the value in a sort of a non-scientific approach in a way in, in providing valuable feedback um, valuable information to what we call engagement in research, which is so, something that's usually an afterthought that we might tack on at the end of a project and try and get some sort of take-up or adoption in the community. Um, so this, this changed our perspective of that, and it's certainly something we can see is um, going to become sort of commonplace, I think, in, in research projects and almost a requirement because, as I mentioned, 
uh, the onus is on us to really demonstrate more and more how our research has impact. So benefits all round, happy clients and more likely to hire me in future, that's really good. So there were a couple of positives for the scientists as well. Did you want to talk about this, Pat? Yeah, so um, unlike, I guess, some of the social research in agriculture that might be more on a qualitative basis where it would just be a matter of um, getting survey data, um, having a little bit more of an open-ended discussion at the kitchen table or something like that in, in the setting of the farmer's um, property really uh, helps us develop relationships. It helps us identify also the types of farmers that are there. There's a huge diversity of you know, personalities and motivations and, and types of businesses in the farming sector and it allows us to really understand which of those farmers are going to be likely to adopt some of our research and technology and, and that, that, uh, those are the ones we you know, can develop longer term relationships with. Um, one unexpected outcome was that UX actually has, has helped inform the strategic direction of some of our research. Uh, a good example is this idea of, you know, these farmers getting information about something that's very un inherently uncertain, such as w what the weather's doing, whether it's going to rain in the next few days. Uh, and, and we saw that they use a lot of different apps weather apps. In fact, some farmers openly admit they're addicted to checking the weather. So we thought, oh well, we'll just give them the best, most accurate forecast in one app. Um, but by taking this UX approach, we got an understanding that it's actually about them developing a consensus of the future of this and making sense of that uncertainty through, through that, those means. Um, so that, that was a really different um, finding that we wouldn't have got if we'd just done some sort of qualitative um, survey-based research, quantitative survey-based research. Um, the other thing is that follows on from that a little bit is that, you know, scientists and the, our profession's a little bit um, obsessed with accuracy. Accuracy often means to develop a more complex tool, a more complex model. Um, and what we realise when we go and talk to farmers about that decision-making process, about their tasks and about their, um, their, their perceptions of, and motivations for what they do is that there's often a mismatch in that level of complexity that they actually need. So it allows us to think about um, potentially introducing, uh, whether it's a technology or a tool, in a, in a less complex form, and that can sometimes be an education process that allows us to, to give them a little bit to begin with and then slowly introduce more um, potentially, you know, compl complex um, concepts and information to them. Yep, okay. So there were lots of really good things, but uh, it wasn't all sunshine and roses, unfortunately. There were also some challenging things that needed to be worked around, both sort of from the UX person's point of view, uh, maybe from the scientists as well. So there were some interesting points that were raised in my discussion with the scientists around why they might not want to adopt UX practices, which I thought were potentially interesting to chat about too, in terms of barriers to non-UX people adopting UX practices in their work. Um, so I really only have one negative, um, and I thought this was a really important one, um, really kind of key to, key to focus on, uh, is that it made it really hard for me to play the trainee role. 
So generally when I'm conducting research, like most people, um, I sort of hide, you know, you adopt the training role, you hide what you know about their field and play dumb so that uh, they'll explain things more thoroughly, you can get a really good understanding of what they're thinking and all that sort of stuff. But one of the biggest issues is that when the scientists were along, this did not work anymore. The minute I started playing dumb, the participants switched from talking to me and went straight, from talk, straight to talking to the expert. So uh, I spent all this time after that trying to drag the conversation back to first principles, rebuild the rapport and all that sort of stuff. So it meant it made it more hard to get the insight level that I would normally get from it. Um, in fact, when I went back and listened to my recordings, I was actually shocked and embarrassed by the stuff I missed or left on the table that I really should have followed up on with the participant. So I assume this was because all my cognitive resources were going towards handling this third party, this other person in the room, rather than focusing on what the participant was saying. So that really created a level of difficulty that uh, I wasn't expecting. Um, and how do you get past this though? So my original thought was maybe bring the client for a couple of interviews, but not the other ones. Uh, that way you get the best of both worlds of the super engaged client, but um, the deeper research outcomes. Uh, maybe that's a bit of a cop out though, especially when you're traveling to rural areas. Uh, it takes them six or seven hours to get there. They probably don't want to go home after half a day. Uh, so that's maybe not the answer. Um, talking about this with some other people, we were thinking that maybe it would depend on the goal of the research as well. So maybe bring the client along for prototypes or something more concrete, but not for maybe the, the initial sort of discussions of uh, more, I guess, sort of heavy research kind of stuff. I think it's really important to note here as well that as a UX researcher, I felt like I did a bad job. Um, like I ended up with lower quality insights than I normally would, uh, but the scientists thought it was great. So. <laughs> If I take off my UX hat and I put on my business owner hat, um, the client was happy, I got paid, they say they're more likely to hire me next time. Maybe my lack of my perfect UX process, uh, it might still be a good outcome regardless of that. So. Um, from the scientist's perspective, um, taking on this, this, I guess, the trainee type approach where we also, um, you know, try and listen and have these open-ended discussions with the um, the farmers in this case, um, can, can be a little bit confronting for scientists because we're used to being in a, in a role where we're offering expertise, expert judgment. Um, and particularly within our own disciplines and in our own science community, that's sometimes frowned upon in that we're conducting research that's actually very applied and very um, focused on um, focused on being a little bit more pragmatic about how we come up with solutions. So um, there's, I know colleagues have experienced it, there's a reluctance to, to embark on some of this work because it's not seen as real science. So yeah, it's an interesting um, journey of, you know, uh, coming to realise the value of sometimes non-scientific approaches. Uh, and as I mentioned, it's a very pragmatic field. Um, and we don't necessarily want to be pragmatic. We're trained to, you know, have this great pursuit of knowledge in its, in its purity. But in reality, the farmer's job is um, often running a business that takes into account a lot of different decisions. And our, our scientific research may only be one part of that decision-making process. And, you know, I, I had to bite my tongue on a number of occasions when I'd hear a farmer say, oh, well, we really love the 30-day weather forecast. The 30-day weather forecast is really valuable to us because it tells us about what's going to happen beyond, you know, the next seven days. Um, and we as scientists know that, well, it's actually based on very little scientific modelling and really garbage, but we have to, 
we have to still take that on because obviously it's important to the farmer and whatever they benefit they see and get out of that um, information is still valid um, and relevant. And it's a, it's a little bit of a switch in, in how we approach um, that uh, science and how it's applied. Yeah, so uh, just summing up and uh, getting off the stage. Uh, so tips for including the client. Um, we've gone through the positives and the negatives. Overall, I think there's definitely some benefits for both sides in having the client come out and do the research. That said, there's also some challenges. Some of my tips are make sure the UX research and the client have a good relationship. If you have an adversarial relationship or you can't stand them, it's going to be difficult to work around that when you're trying to build rapport. Make sure they can keep their mouth shut. And I mean this in the nicest way possible. They need to be able to let us do our thing and ask our questions for at least a little bit of it without jumping in. So you develop an understanding of how you work together on this over a couple of sessions. No more than one client. Uh, it's important not to overwhelm the participant with hundreds of people. When there are too many people, they don't know who they should be talking to. So it's good to keep the numbers down as much as you can. Um, it's good to give them the script ahead of time. That way they know what you're trying to get at in each part of the script. Most importantly, when you're going off script to follow up on something interesting, they need to let you do that without butting in. Um, and finally, if they appreciate the process and all the stuff we've talked about with how UX informs their strategy, then that really helps all of this work as well. So that's it from us. Um, and if you want to learn anything more about this or about agriculture, feel free to contact us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this presentation from UX Australia 2018. For more presentations, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.